And again, it goes back to that growth mindset. And I think as coaches, I hope I, I don't know how much longer I'll coach. I hope it's a long time, but I hope I don't ever get to that point. Or I think when you get to that point, I think you probably got to stop coaching. If you think you can't grow and learn anymore and get any better, then I think it's time to probably hang it up. That's what I want my players. I want my players to leave here and go, man, those three years or four years at Louisville, they were the best. And those are my best friends. They're in my weddings. When something goes bad, I can call one of them. And that's our goal as a program, as coaches. And and when you get players that are consistent, punch the clock and love each other, man, that's why they're great. You're dialed in to the ABCA's Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. Connecting our coaches with some of the best baseball minds in our game. Now here's your host, Jeremy Sheetinger. Dialing into your speakers and broadcasting from the ABCA National Office here in Greensboro, North Carolina. Welcome back or welcome to our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. This is your baseball coaching source for certified audio gold, the place where you come to connect with the very best baseball minds in our game. Week after week, our goal is to provide the platform for coaches who are interested in challenging themselves on their quest for baseball knowledge and personal growth, their own journey to take in coaching content from the best clinicians and teachers in the game. And this week's episode is primed and ready to flow. Another Take Feverish Notes show on deck. Find us wherever podcasts are free. Hit subscribe on there. Be kind. Leave us a review and a rating. Plus, share this podcast with anyone you feel like would appreciate these conversations. Connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Find us at ABCA1945. You can also head over to our website, abca.org. If you're looking for more information about what our baseball coaching fraternity here is all about, also please feel free to reach out to me directly at Coach Sheets3 on Twitter and Instagram or by email Sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, at abca.org. Huge thanks to our great friends and longtime ABCA partners over at Rawlings. We appreciate their support of our Calls to the Clubhouse podcast. Always great to flash their leather and that red patch around on this show. These guys have so much to offer coaches and players from their extensive line of new bats, including the Quattro, or their batting helmets like the Mach EXT, from uniforms to apparel. Go check out their entire product line on their website, Rawlings.com, that's R-A-W-L-I-N-G-S.com, and we hope to see you join Team Rawlings today. And we're going to give this to you one more time, a very special offer only released through this podcast and only for our most loyal listeners. If you have interest in bringing home 60 coaching videos that were recorded live from this past fall's ABCA Barnstormers Clinic Store, then we have a deal for you. This package, again, 60 videos from some of the top teachers around the country filmed on the field with player demos in classrooms, in the cages, in the bullpen, and all have so much value that we wrapped them into a $100 deal. But if you use the code SHEETS50OFF, that's SHEETS, S-H-E-E-T-S, 50-5-O-OFF, over on their website, coachesinsider.com slash barnstormers that's coachesinsider.com slash barnstormers now when you go to that page you're going to see they have a $25 discount code already in place but don't let that confuse you you listen to the show 
you get the secret discount of $50 off. Don't miss this opportunity to get your hands on some of the best coaching content out there. We want to see you jump on the Barnstormers Tour Bus with us. Sheets 50 off. Head over to coachesinsider.com slash barnstormers today. Now a very special episode that hits home here in the national office as we connect with our second vice president and University of Louisville head coach Dan McDonald on this week's show. And wow, just wait to the other side of this intro. It's tough to remember a dugout chatter episode that was packed with so much information. We gain insight from one of the best coaches in college baseball from Mac's journey through coaching how he approached building the Cardinals program into a perennial powerhouse and the attention to detail on the field shows up over the airwaves as we get Dan to open up some of the unique practice routines from batting practice to base running, what goes on down in the bullpen with the UFL pitching staff. The stat line alone says enough for you to stick around. We're talking about 12 years at the helm, 11 regionals, four World Series appearances, and the winningest college baseball program over that time period. Like we're hanging out in the dugout at Jim Patterson Stadium there in Louisville, we connect with the head coach of the Cardinals and ABCA second vice president, Dan McDonald. He is our guest on this week's Dugout Chatter episode. And get ready, coaches. This great show is coming at you right now. Coaches, thanks for dialing into our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. We're heading to the stomping grounds of the head coach of the University of Louisville there in Louisville, Kentucky, to have a great conversation about his career in baseball, but also talk through and give you guys some tremendous information on the ins and outs of how to run one of the most successful college baseball programs in the country. We're going to connect with Dan McDonald. Mac, thanks for jumping on with us. Cheats, thanks for having me. Well, it's my pleasure. It doesn't seem that long ago we were sitting in some comfy chairs in Dallas, Texas, does it? That's right. Love the uh, love the convention. Just love how it – it's just the timing is perfect. Oh, the new yeah. year – uh, kicks off the year. It's right before the season. So the excitement, um, getting all the new products, listening to the new speakers, really for me, just seeing all the coaches that you're, you're going to be going up against in the sure. spring. And, uh, that was a lot of fun a few weeks ago. That is awesome. Before we get too much deeper, cause I do want to retouch that moment. I just want to go back to this. Now that, this is a proud moment for me. I feel like a proud Papa here, Mac, that we got you to really accentuate your tech savviness right before the call. Just so our listeners know, I said, Mike, man, it'd be really great if this was on Skype. He goes, hey, give me a second. I'll download it. So we've got you to download Skype on your phone. And then we just introduced low power mode into your life. So, I mean, how do you feel right now? <laughs> I, feel, <laughs> I feel lost because you, you made me sound so confident in that. It was really like when you said Skype, I was like on my computer or on my phone. And then I, was, I left said, all that out for a reason. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, I, I, can't, I can't take a lot of credit there. That's why you have sons and daughters and nieces and nephews that you need that generation to help you uh, sure. along the way. And I, I need a lot of help, but I'm, I do feel, I feel more tech savvy here there you go. having, having downloaded <laughs> Skype and here we are. This sounds so professional. Oh, it sounds really good. Um, so let's go back to this. And again, I know we talked about a little bit in the big chairs in Dallas, but I think for any listener and someone that wasn't on site or they didn't have a chance to listen to those podcast episodes from the show, just talk through your ABC experience. Again, this year, moving into the second vice president role as we flip over a brand new year, uh, certainly being involved with board meetings, just getting a real pulse of the, you know, the back door of what's going on in the association. But man, you were a member for so many years building up to it. So just talk about how the association has really helped you grow as a coach. You know, 27 years ago, I started coaching. I remember a couple coaches going, well, you have to go to the convention. I think my first one was in, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, okay. back in the back in the early nineties. Okay. 
and haven't missed. I mean, it's 27 mm. years, uh, whether it was in Anaheim, uh, up in Philadelphia, yeah. Chicago, and, and I never missed. And, and, and to see it from both sides, see it as a assistant coach and the thirst and the knowledge mm-hmm. and running around and listening to everybody speak and, and the exhibits and how the exhibits have changed as technology has changed over the years to now, as you said, wow. being on the board, you know, about the last seven years, I was the division one chair yeah. that got me into some meetings and now being a vice president, man, you really see all the <laughs> stuff behind the scenes. I have such an appreciation because it's such a great show that's put on by the staff of the ABCA. Um, and you can see by the numbers, it's just growing and growing and growing. So for me as a coach, it's just, it's a can't miss. I just don't know how you don't start off the year going to the ABCA convention, whether you're a youth coach, a high school coach, a college coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I love how is like a guy like Mike Matheny speaks this year yeah. and the speakers are more blown away than the coaches themselves. The speakers <laughs> sure. come in, these guys we see on TV and we look up to and they're like, wow, I had no idea mm-hmm. this event was this big. And so uh, it's got a lot of momentum right now. Gosh, you're dead on there. And we appreciate those those kind remarks. We've got a lot of great work to do. We actually just left a meeting with our national office staff about how we're going to move again, keep moving forward, how we're looking forward to Nashville and, and all the dynamics around it. So, again, having you guys involved is huge. And obviously the board plays such a large role, you know, having just the courage to – back us up when we as you've been in those rooms man we talk about doing some things that at times are a little scary you know to to guys that we've always done it this way but man we, we think we can grow in these areas um, and obviously man you you have played a huge role in that really bridging the gap for us uh, between the coaches and the board members but I want to get into your career path in baseball I mean we can talk about a lot that just happened there at Louisville and we will uh, going into your 13th season I think one of the most glaring stats to me off the off the website page is that you know, over your tenure, over 12 years, you guys are first nationally in wins. I mean, you have built one of the, if not the most successful college baseball program in the country, 11 NCAA regionals, four trips to the World Series. But man, your career starting, you know, humble beginnings back at the Citadel and working your way through, if you could just open up your career path in baseball and bring us back to current day. I mean, I'm a spiritual person. So for me, it's easy to look back and realize, man, God's got a plan for you Mm -hmm. and just trust his plan. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a kid from New York ends up at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina. My nickname today is still Yankee. I mean, that's what all my buddies call me. (laughs) Fitting. All the guys I played with. Well, it's actually short. It's Yank. It's just Y-A-N-K. That's awesome. And that's what... That's what all my buddies call me, and having played four years for a legendary coach in mm-hmm. Chow Port, mm-hmm. uh, then I got to work with Coach Fred Jordan, over 800 wins, was there for 25-plus years. Uh, that was great yep. uh, to learn and work with him. Uh, and then I got my opportunity uh, at Ole Miss with Mike Bianco, yep. and so I've always said, and if you could work at a military school, college, <laughs> and with the challenges, it's an awesome school, but yes, it is. you just have challenges there in recruiting and you learn how to connect with people and you got to grind it out and you got to work harder and all that good stuff. Then you spend six years with Mike Bianco, who came from the Skip Burtman system. Yes. Uh, I just felt like you couldn't get two better head coaches to work for, two better systems to work for. Mm. So when I got the opportunity to come to Louisville back in 2006, I just thought, man, this system, we could put it in place right here. 
and uh, and let's let's do our best. And yeah, I can't believe here we are. 13 years later, uh, as you know, time's flying. There's no doubt. You know, it's so funny and so fitting. You know, I actually tweeted this morning, Mac, about you're where you're at because it's where you're supposed to be. And I know that, you know, we talk about faith on this show and we talk about the journey. And I know that resonates with you as those stops were meant for a reason. And I think that walks into this next question. When you look back at those places, can you maybe pinpoint, hey, this was the major lesson that I pulled? I'm sure there's so many at each, but the major lesson that jumps off to you like, hey, man, I was there to learn this that I've taken with me throughout the rest of my path. Can you open that up? Yeah. At the Citadel, I, I, I got to play in the College World Series. That's so, right. you know, so when, you know, it was like, it was like the Hoosiers kind of, kind of moment when we <laughs> beat Miami in the Miami regional and we're dogpiling and, you know, little military school, less than 2000 students yep. is going to the College World Series and, and we're going to play LSU and Cal State Fullerton. And I just remember thinking that was such a competitive group. Yeah. We had such a chip on our shoulder. I don't, you know, not one player from that team made it to the big leagues. I think mm-hmm. one guy made it past double A. It wasn't the most talented, but it was the most competitive group. And so when I think of my 12 years at the Citadel, it's just such a blue collar mentality. Put your head down, mm-hmm. work hard, have a chip on your shoulder and compete. And Coach Jordan was old school. He was no nonsense, but he loved his players. He let us coach. He let me make mistakes. Um, he let me grow throughout the process. And when I had that opportunity, uh, you know, to go to Ole Miss, he sat me down. He said, "Dan, I just want you to know you're ready. You're 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 ready for this." And at the Citadel, wow. we were, you know, we we had a chance to win that league every year. I think we won it five out of ten years. Okay. Um, we were kind of the team of the decade in the Southern Conference, but. It was hard because you go to a Florida State, you go to a Clemson, you go to a Tennessee, and you're 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 always the three or four seed. And it's just I just remember feeling, man, it's so hard to go to someone else's facility and win. And so when the opportunity came to go to Ole Miss, it was like, all right. Um, and I jumped in, and I was probably there a month with Mike Bianco. And what what I take from him and that system was confidence. Mm. He was so confident. Yeah. We were taking over a program that was at the bottom of the SEC. Fan attendance was down. There wasn't a lot of momentum. And I just remember spending that first summer with him. He was so confident. It was no doubt awesome. we were going to win. Mm-hmm. And in our six years there, we won more SEC games than anybody. Yeah. And we hosted regionals, and we were a national seed. We hosted a couple super regionals. And so I just I took – the hard work from the Citadel, I took that confidence and boldness mm. from Ole Miss, and I just I brought that system to Louisville, and it's it's worked. Yeah, that's great. Well, you know, getting that opportunity to take over a program like Louisville, which, again, hadn't had much national success, and again, at that point, we're really in need of something to turn over. So you walk in, and obviously the story's written, you know, one of the uh, first rookie head coaches to take your team to Omaha, and uh, what you did there that 2017, but I always think back to, again, a lot of listeners on this, Mac, are, are assistant coaches, and there's some that are young head coaches. There's some that are old head coaches, and everyone in between, and we all know, unless the younger guys are looking forward to the moment when they do know, is when you do become a head coach, there's things that that first year just really open your eyes, like, wow, as much as I sat as an assistant coach, and I've I've said publicly, and I'll say it on the show, 
for eight years that I was an assistant, I look back as I think I was a terrible assistant coach because I was, <laughs> no. I was constantly like, man, I just want to be a head coach. I just want to run my own show. And I wasn't, you know, being where my feet were, I wasn't crushing what was in front of me. So anyways, I think becoming a head coach, can you offer what you learned about yourself? And, and if you do look at those lessons, would you change anything and go back if you were an assistant coach? Well, I think we can always look back and, yes. and, you know, we, we made mistakes and there's things we wish we'd have done better. And, I, I tell parents now I'm a different even head coach today than I was 10 years ago. And that's yeah. just through that's just through my family growing, learning as a parent, knowing what parents are going through. But I, I don't think um, I would change anything. I, my hmm. best advice I hope I give to people um, is and you said it, be where your feet are. Yeah. I have assistants out there who played for me or coached with me and I've got some head coaches out there. And, and I've always told them there's two things I think you really have to do is you have to be good to the game of baseball mm -hmm. and good to the program. And that's even mm -hmm. kind of an average way of saying it because I really challenge them and say, I'd like you to be great, great. Yes. to the game of baseball yep. and great to the program. Like the game's going to, the game was here before you and it's going to be here after you. So yeah. don't ever think you're bigger or better than the game. Just be great to this game of baseball that you love and it's given you an opportunity to play and now coach and then be great to the program you're at. I don't care if it's a high school, NAIA, junior college, division three, two, one, whatever. Mm. And I tell all these guys, I know you want to, you know, you want to get to, you want to move up the ladder. You want to get to the, to the next level, the, the highest level, but we hear all these stories, you know, John Gruden's making copies um, <laughs> as the copy boy. And sure. he, this guy was the errand guy. And this guy was the like wherever you're at, man, if you can't pour into that program yeah. and help that program win, how are you going to then move on and be great at another program? And I think it's very mm. easy for a lot of assistants or coaches to look and Well, if I had those resources, well, if I had that, well, if I had that. And I think we can we can fool ourselves into thinking and, and that's that's just not real. That That's not because, that, you know, that don't think more resources and more this and more that makes coaching any more enjoyable than where you're at. That's and, it. and so I just take that lesson and I try to preach that to, to all my, you know, my assistants or, or head coaches out there. Mm, yeah. More resources doesn't solve every problem, you know. No, no, no. Definitely. It, it just it, it, it could bring more headaches. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, don't. You know, it's it, I always say, you know, this is about the kids. And I sure. think that's where as coaches, when, when you said be where your feet are and we're talking about be great to the program, mm -hmm. these kids, like they get one chance at this. They get one, three or four or five year experience to be a student athlete. And you are going to have an impact on that. You hopefully can coach for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. We, we don't know, but. These kids, they know it's a small window. So to not mm. pour everything into these kids and and make it about their experience, I think is is selfish on our part. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, we appreciate you offering that. I think that hits home with a lot of a lot of coaches again across all all scopes, all ages. That that definitely uh, hits between the eyes. Now go back to 2006, and I know keep going to the past, and I know you're a forward thinker, and we're coming back to it. But I just want to rescue this wisdom from back there. When you think about getting the job in 06. And taking over that program, 
Can you just outline maybe what at that moment, if you can go back, what was your initial vision for the program? And what did you really, when you looked at the grand scheme of things at that time, living inside the Big East, did you really feel like these things that you've been able to put together over 12 seasons, that these things could actually become a reality? Did you see that clearly in 06? Fortunately, I just six years earlier, when I went to Ole Miss with Mike Bianco, I got to, to witness how a head coach can come in and transform a program, sure. change the culture. And wow. we did it so quickly there. In our first year, we were a two seed uh, at the Tulane Regional, and we were ranked as in the top 10 throughout the year. Within mm. three years, we were hosting regionals, and within five years, we were hosting super regionals. And, and I just remember seeing how quickly – we changed it there. And, mm-hmm. and so I, I just remember meeting with this team. And, and I know lots of times when you get a head job, it's because you're a recruiter. And I wanted to make sure this group understood, yes, guys, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm here because I've been able to recruit. And that's kind of my reputation. Mm-hmm. And yes, I'm going to recruit. We're going to recruit for this program. But I want to make sure you know this is about you guys right now. And I inherited, I always say, it, Lalo left a group of nine tough seniors talented <laughs> no doubt. tough couple guys were coming back off injuries couple guys were coming off of down years and it was like that perfect storm of guys I'm all about the postseason I was at a mid-major school at the Citadel we were all about going to the postseason I was at Ole Miss we we're all about going to the postseason so I'm just telling you right now we are all about the NCAAs there's 64 teams yeah we have to be one of the 64 and I was probably I, looking back, I was probably too hard on them at times, and I, I talked too much about winning, and, and that's why we, we just lost the regular season by a half game. Hmm. We just lost in the semifinals of, of the Big East tournament, and I, and I almost overcoached that team. Wow. But I just had to, I had to set the bar, and I just, I just uh, my thumb was on them, and I demanded hmm. so much from that group. And when we got, we were in at-large, and we were three-seed in the regionals, and mm-hmm. I saw that room erupt, and these kids <laughs> went wild. I remember thinking, what an accomplishment. Sure. We, we, we made it. We made it. And, wow. and I'll never forget riding back on the bus. Uh, we beat Miami. Uh, we beat Miami, then we lost to Missouri, and then we beat Miami. So now we're playing Missouri in the championship game of a regional. And I leaned mm-hmm. over to our coaches, and I said, man, what – what a cool accomplishment. We're playing in a regional championship game. You were popping champagne before the game? Well, well, just because I knew in recruiting, <laughs> sure. I, I knew in the recruiting world, I was like, hey, this is what we've been telling kids. Yeah. This is what we're about. I'm so psyched. These kids get a chance to play in a regional championship game. That's fair. And, and, and we won you know, that night without a lot of pressure on us, and we exploded mm. the next day, and then it was like, you know, we were just playing with house money at yes, that point. Yes. You know, we were playing with house money. Uh, Arkansas got upset by Oklahoma State, so then Oklahoma State had to come to us. So now you got two, three seeds, two wins away from Omaha. Uh, and fortunately, we we won game one and game three, and and that that just that was the springboard that our program. Yeah. I don't know if our program's where we are today if it weren't for that first year. Hmm. That's fair. I mean, that, that is a heck of a way to kick off uh, a, a new a new era, right? A, a new uh, awakening of a program. So I certainly can understand that. Okay, I want to go into this because I think, again, you, you mentioned this on a few different notes, and I think more clearly defined would be great for our guys. How would you describe your coaching style? And I think once you know kind of who you are, how has that shifted over time? And I think the, the personal growth side of it is is really there's some there's some nuggets in there for us. 
<laughs> you know, I, I'm a, I don't know. I, I, I think I'm more of a football coach uh, in, in, in a sense. Like I, I think if, if, if I ever hang up the baseball turfs and, and, and stop coaching baseball, <laughs> I think in my, I think in my next life, I want to be a high school football coach. There really? I just, I loved high school football. I love the toughness, the camaraderie. Yeah. Um, and like I wearing think a whistle. I, yeah, maybe that's it, you know, and I like yelling and screaming and I'm loud on the field, and, yeah. but we play music. And, and like I said, I just, I'm all about, uh, the effort, the energy, the enthusiasm. Mm. Like I want to work out and lift like a football team. <laughs> I, I want to have motivational videos and highlight videos. And, and if, and where I've ever made mistakes in my career and I've made many is probably, probably getting kids too hyped up. Probably. I mean, I got kids ready okay. to run down or through a wall and tackle somebody. And of course in baseball, that's not always the, yeah. the, the, the best, yeah. uh, preparation, but I'm just, uh, I, I remember hearing Skip Bertman talk at the convention and I remember him saying baseball coaches need to work like football coaches. Um, but even more so they do it for a short period of time. For, they do it for their season, yeah. but then they got, they got their, their, their off season's different than our off season. Mm -hmm. And so I just remember sitting there, and I'm listening to Skip Burtman. And I'm like, yeah, I love football. I'm a, I'm a football type guy. <laughs> and I, I can definitely coach like a football coach. So, I mean, for me, um, it's about motivating. I, I love challenging. I love being organized. I love having a scouting report. I love doing all the things I think football coaches do. Mm. What I've learned is, and I learned it from Coach Jordan and Coach Bianco, I, I, I don't hover over my coaches um and i don't micromanage them mm. i let them coach yes. you know and I, I i learned that from the coaches i coached with i learned that from tom jerch who was my first athletic director mm. and it was just hey let trust these guys to do what they're supposed to do i know we're accountable and and i i'm demanding and i i challenge these guys but you know for them it's to trust them and let them be good or great in their area and don't take it personal if i make a comment or make a suggestion at the end of the day right we're just trying to help these kids like i said this is their experience and i think as a as a coach how can we help these guys be their best and if i see something that i think can help a pitcher coach williams is not going to get his feelings hurt when I make a suggestion to him, is he the best pitching coach in the country? I'm going to say yes. I know you think and that. A, and, yeah. and, and a lot of people will. Yeah. But when I make a comment about something with his pickoff move or something with this or with that, he knows I'm not trying to get credit for it. I'm just trying to help him help his player. And it's the same thing with Coach Snyder and Coach Rabel mm -hmm. and the hitters. I mean, I don't want to coach the hitters. And the last thing I want to do is screw them up. I've made that mistake before <laughs> as a coach. You know, you, you get involved and sure. now you're saying something to a kid and now a kid's all oh, domed man. up. So I, I really try to bite my tongue mm -hmm. and I want to say something to a hitter, but you know what? Let me wait. Let me say something to one of the coaches and, and they don't take it personal. It's not yeah. like I don't think they can coach. It's, hey, guys, I just want to help. And vice versa, you tell me, you know, if yes. there's something – I want coaches, if you got a bunch of yes people around you, I don't know how you're going to be a great coach. That's I think right. you got to have you got to have coaches around you that challenge you. You know, I had when Raj and Brian Mundorf have been with me for all 13 years, I had Chris Limonis for the first That's right. 8 years yeah. and and Chris and I were best of friends. We played together at the Citadel and mm -hmm. we coached at the Citadel and of course, I mean, he could he could say anything to me. I mean, he could really 
you know, excuse my language, piss me off. Yeah. You know, but he could say that to me because he knew it was about helping the kids. Mm -hmm. You know, it was about these kids being their best. And so I would always challenge coaches, man, get around people who are going to challenge you. Get around people who are going to try to help you grow. If if you want to be the head coach where you've got it all figured out and nobody can tell you anything, you know, again, I, 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 I'd caution you on that front. I just don't, I don't think we ever get to a point where we've got it all figured out. Times are changing. Kids are, the culture's changing. (laughs) We got to be able to adapt with it. So I've been blessed to, you know, have been around great coaches like that. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to come back to those assistant coaches. I think there's, there's some more to pull, but I want to go to this because as you're breaking that down, I think that's maybe one thing I've always resonated with you is, is the intensity and knowing, again, that football background, that mentality, that rah-rah. I mean, I've always kind of had that as well, but where maybe I fell short as a coach is I was all about the motivation and the front end and let's get fired up, let's flip a table, let's go you know, cut a throat <laughs> in the first inning, and, and we ride the roller coaster of the game. And now we're hyped up, but then a bad call, now we're down. Let's get them back fired up. Did you experience that? And then more than that, how have you managed that to where your teams, your teams are as consistent as maybe any that I get a chance to watch. How have you found the way to find that within your guys? Yeah, I mean, I had to learn that. I had to yeah. figure that out. You know, don't don't get too high and, and don't get too low. <laughs> Guilty, you know baby. I mean? That's right. And yeah. I, I've been I've been on both ends of the spectrum, and, yeah. and I don't think that makes you a bad coach just because you care. But yeah, you have to. I think the great coaches, as you look across the dugout. It's those stone faces. They they keep their emotions in check. Even kill. You know, yep. that's it. And yep. it's it's about letting their kids not panic, not mm. get stressed out. And I'm sure there are times our stomachs are turning and things are going on in, yep. in our bodies where we, we can't let them see that, you know, that we, we have to control our emotions. And, and you just learn and, and you know, you, you, you come up with, okay, so what now what you yep. know there's times there's times to flip the table and get excited and wake everybody up <laughs> yeah. and I, and I did that you know in 07 there was a point where i think the kids left the field and i was i was losing my mind and i called everybody back and boy i lost it in in one of those meetings and the kids probably laugh about it today but that was a turning point yeah. you know that i just think was needed for that group at that time i think there's other times where you just got to say so what now what, you know, mm. no big deal. And let's, let's just, let's just move on. And, and, you know, it's, it's a long, long year. Yes. So trying to find that balance, that even keel. But again, I think there are times where you got to turn up the heat and there yeah. are times you got to put your arm around them. And I think at the end of the day, if the kids know you love them and you care about them, then, then they should trust you. Gosh, in that football respect, I keep calling audibles on you. So I'm going to, I'm going to call one more real quick. Your post game talks. Okay, that's something that I know you guys do. You go down the line. It's something that uh, is very important to you. Again, wrapping up the game, but for you and again for all coaches, that that's our way to kind of put it back into the bigger picture and where we're going tomorrow. How have you shifted in that post game speech? Because again, I know you're an emotional guy. You can be. So the loss hits home, and for some coaches, that's a moment where hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk until I feel better. Um, how have you grown inside that post game speech area? I think I've learned and I've watched other coaches and, and I think the, I think the shorter, the better, you know, okay. I've, I've learned that we're not going to talk a whole lot about the game and, and, you know, we're, we're going to, it's been a long day and, yeah. and emotionally, and again, these kids are thinking about where they're eating. And, <laughs> They've moved you know, on. So, They've- yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. And, and I remember as a player too, 
the kids handle the losses so much better than yes. the coaches. You oh, know, that's just smokes. if you want to get in the coaching, that's just I'm sorry that that's just going to be part of it. Yeah. Kids, you know, we, sometimes we have to think how they think and how we used to think back then. And so I just I really want to be short. I want to be brief. Mm-hmm. Um, we we have a thing where we we want to call out somebody uh, for the win. If if we won, mm-hmm. we're going to recognize somebody. Mm-hmm. And we're going to flip that guy the shirt. You know, great job on the mound. Great play up the middle. Great, great bunt. Three-run homer. Whatever it is you did yeah. that we felt that was maybe the one of the keys to the game. We're going to recognize you. We're going to make a couple announcements for curfew and tomorrow morning and what time, all this stuff. Yeah. Then we're going to say our prayer. After we say our prayer, everybody stands up. And the player I gave the shirt to then has to give the shirt to someone else. He then Ooh. has to say, thank you. And it's, it's from Help the Helper book, and it's a yes. theme where, you know, it's not just uh, one guy, it's two, it's three. And so it's just wow. a neat little thing we started, I don't know, a few years back. Yeah. And I love, you know, so if you're the Friday night starter and I flip you the shirt, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm always, you know, who's he going to give the shirt to yeah. after the prayer? And, and, you know, they're going to give it to the catcher. They're going to give it to the closer. Mm-hmm. They're going to give it sometimes to the bullpen catcher. Yeah. It's really cool. Over, over the course of a season, you're going to see a strength coach, a trainer, a manager, a team doc, uh, an <laughs> SID guy. I mean, this shirt is going to get flipped to people, and that's what you want. You want these kids to realize it's not about me, and I didn't get here by myself. That's this it. is about us, and I'm going to flip the shirt to somebody who helped me along the way. And mm. it's one of my favorite parts of, of the win. Now, when you lose, <laughs> nobody gets the shirt, yeah. but that's okay. You know, we'll, we'll hang the shirt up tomorrow. And, yep. and now that's the difference between one of my best friends is a, is a football coach. And that's the difference. As much as I love football, man, to wait a whole week again oh, to play, that would, <laughs> that would eat me up. So for me, you know, get something to eat, get a good night's sleep, yep. work out the next morning and, Hey, I'm back at the ballpark, and we got a chance to win today. So that's, that's my favorite part about baseball. <laughs> that's outstanding. Um, I'm going to go back to the assistant coaches because they're man. You, you've you've surrounded yourself with some fantastic people. You mentioned, you know, Brian Mundorf has been with you from day one, bringing over Chris Lamonis with you. Obviously, he goes on to be the head coach at IU now, at Mississippi State. You've had Roger in your back pocket, your associate head coach, which not just you and not just guys that pitched for. Coach Williams, it's it's people in the baseball community recognize his value. Adam Vrabel's been with you a long time. Obviously, Zan before that. You surround yourself with really great people. So I'm going to give you a chance. Talk about those assistant coaches and what makes each of them so special in terms of what they've done to help build this program. Well, I, I mentioned it earlier. I, they poured themselves into it. Um, they, you know, when when I hired Chris and Roger, uh, they didn't make it about themselves. There was no ego. Mm-hmm. They were all about the kids. Um, and that was great. You know, we, we, we had an administration that loved on them. You know, I, I obviously loved on them, but you need the support of the administration to love on them. And so it really, you know, made them feel comfortable. And mm-hmm. I'm at a place where I'm, I'm treated well, I'm respected, I'm valued. Fortunately, their families and their wives and their kids loved it here. So, so yes, we, Chris went to Indiana and then we hired Eric Snyder and, mm-hmm. and I always go back to, you know, Chris, knowing who I was, what I was about. And I had some names on my list and we sat down one day and I said, Hey man, w- tell me what you think. Like, who, who do you think? And, and no disrespect to any of the other coaches out there. Cause I spoke to a handful. Sure. He just said, Dan, I know you. And I think I know this guy pretty well. 
And I, I think he is a perfect fit for you. Wow. And, of course, he was at Illinois and, yep. and knew the Midwest so well, which we're entrenched in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I just hit the jackpot. When you lose someone like Chris to, to replace him with someone like Eric, hmm. you know, we just, man, not a knock on Chris, but we didn't skip a beat. And yeah. that's not easy. That That is not easy. And, 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 and I thank Chris for that because he left us in great standings. And he allowed us to get another great coach to follow him. Uh, you mentioned Brian Mundorf. You know, I call him the godfather. He's been here uh, 20, I think 23, 24 Golly. years. He was the consummate rock. So, mm-hmm. you know, as new coaching staffs know, like you don't know where anything is at first year. And I remember when we went to Ole Miss, four new coaches, you don't know anything. You don't, you, I mean, it's a scramble fest. <laughs> so we had, you know, we had the four new coaches here with Roger, Chris, and Zan. And Brian was the rock. He had been here at that time like 10 years, and he knew everything, and he could help us with everything. And, and we just had that steady influence of a guy that was so well-respected on this campus. Mm-hmm. And, and so for me to have spent all 13 years with he and Roger, um, it's, it's been a blessing. I mean, there's no way we have the success we have without guys like Chris and Roger at the start you know, Eric and Roger now, Brian's been the, the consummate guy. Um, and then you mentioned guys like Zam Barksdale, Cheese and Vrabel. Yes. Um, it's you win in life with the right people. I, I used to always say you win in life with people. It's not it's somewhat of a true statement, but not totally true. The true statement is you win in life with the right people. Yes. And I, I, I no head coach can do this by themselves. And, and I'm sure there are coaches we're all guilty of we try to do too much. Mm-hmm. We overcoach. We micromanage. You know, we look back and we go, you know what, man? Just I hired these guys. Yeah. I trust these guys, and I'm gonna let them do their thing. And and so it's uh, it's worked out well. I mean, yeah. there's obviously it's a these coaches have been uh, been amazing. Gosh, you mentioned help the helper, and that's the second time that book's come up on our podcast. And um, I think if there's something that you could point to that you read or you watched or you heard or, again, having a conversation with a coach that really challenged you, even this entrenched as you are in your coach career that you went, you know what? We could do that differently. We could say that differently. We could add that to our program. What's something recently that's really challenged you to your core, Mac? Man, I'm – uh I'm a big Dr. Elko fan, Kevin Elko, okay. and um, he has spoken to our team before. He's very involved with with Alabama football, yeah. and um, I'm always trying to grow. I'm, I'm always trying to be challenged. Um, I think when when he crossed paths with with me in my life uh, six years ago, man, he's he's a he's a strong spiritual person, and. Um, I just thought, man, I, I can I can do these things and I can grow. And uh, we have an FCA director, Chris Morgan. Again, a, a spiritual aspect of, man, I need to grow. I, I need to I need to to keep in my walk, um, mm. and I need to be bold. And, and and I hadn't figured this whole thing out yet, you know. And <laughs> sure. and so just just keep growing. Um, I, I think for me, it, it's the the technological side is what's really changed over the years. I mean, I, I love the books and I'm going to take a theme from it every year and I'm mm-hmm. going to share it with our kids and we're going to put it on a shirt and we're going to talk about it. And, you know, we're going to chase the lion. We're going to run to the roar. Uh, <laughs> we need wolves. I mean, we, you know, I dare you, we got all these different yeah. phrases and things that I love from just reading and growing, but 
I think for me, it's, it's the technological side is where we've really, the last couple years, we, we've had to expand. And that's just from mm. talking to other coaches out there and, and whether it's the, the track man system, uh, the synergy, uh, you name it, all the stuff that's out there. Yes. You know, it's, it, it could be overload. I got a degree in mathematics. I like the numbers. I mean, I play around with percentages and, and I, I agree with the law of average. I mean, I understand that, you know, mm. there's in, in, I think there's been what, 52 Super Bowls, um, or so. And I think it's landed on heads, uh, <laughs> 24 times or 25 and tails 27. Wow. No, I kid you not. Like, like, like it, it's almost 50%, you know? So, <laughs> So for someone who I'm a tails guy, or I'm a heads guy, and I'm if we flip this coin a hundred times, it's going to be close to 49, 48, 50, 51. I mean right. that, that that's the law of average. So so there are things I look at the numbers, but then on the flip side, this we're dealing with people, you know. So I don't I don't want to be over entrenched with. I don't want to clog myself up and freeze up because I got mm. so many numbers and statistics, and you know sometimes you just gotta got to go with your gut you know yeah. you just gotta gotta go with your gut and forget what the numbers say and forget what this says and i'm gonna i'm gonna go with this right here and i think that's a challenging thing we're all facing as coaches right now is is how much are we gonna stick to the analytics and the numbers and how much are we gonna stick to people and what we think they're able to do right has that really at your core is that challenge you is that do you think you become a better coach with the influx of data numbers technology you think that's made you better or made your program better i think yes i okay. don't you know it, it's um it's about keeping up with your opponent you know so yeah. you don't you don't want you don't want to play to you want to be prepared and you yeah. want your kids to feel prepared but i remember as a player sitting there listening to a scouting report i i, I mean i just remember like it was yesterday <laughs> i was like i could i could care less about the scouting report like really like I, you know <laughs> i'm gonna step in the batter's box or I, i'm gonna play where i think you know i just remember that just that attitude and yep. not that our players are like that i think they respect it but if you spend two hours on a scouting report i mean are they really going to be free and loose and mm. you know let, let them play the game you know let so like i said to me there's a balance i mean yeah I, i'm a I, I like it can i help a kid individually so if you use this technology hmm. Does it help this kid? And that's the thing in coaching. That's the biggest challenge we have. What works for one doesn't work for all. That's right. That, and, and that's why we, we can't be closed-minded or, as we like to say, fixed mindset. Mm -hmm. we, have to, we have to be open-minded. We have to have a growth mindset. And we have to be, you know, so even though as a coach, I might not be a big fan of that, and that's not the way I would teach all my kids, hey, if it helps this one kid, let's do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> let, let, if it helps Johnny, let's do it for Johnny. Do I think it's going to help, you know, 15 of my hitters? No. But if it helps him, we got to do it for him. And I think that's the challenge as coaches with the numbers, with the technology, with all this information is, you know, use it to those to help them. You know, you mentioned that, and I can tell it's a little bit of all these as I ask this question, but how are you engineered as a learner? Like, do you get most of your information or at least hold on to it? through reading are you more do you are you a podcast guy are you into more of pick up the phone or have face-to-face -face conversations with guys how do you really maybe take in your information I, i've become a big reader okay um I, the first book i read a championship season by lou holtz uh the 1988 notre dame national championship team i remember it was the first book i read i was probably 20 
two or three, and you know, obviously, I read some some school books, but I'm talking about like really, <laughs> I'm talking about leisurely, <laughs> yeah, le- I'm talking about leisurely yep. reading a book. All right, so I'm a young coach. I'm reading this book, and he's got a chapter in there. It's one of the best chapters I've ever read. I think it was like chapter five. It's about life, and it says the two things that'll change you from who you are today to who you are five years from now are the books you read and the people you meet. Wow. Now you got to understand, I I I'd probably been in the South about five years, so I'm a New York guy, 18 years of my life. Now my use have become y'alls. <laughs> And my soft drink has become sweet tea. And I'm starting to I'm starting to think about this and I'm going, yeah. man, this this dude's right. Mm-hmm. Man, I'm a, I'm different today because I just spent five years in the South. Yeah. But then it dawned on me, oh no, I don't read. Like I'm I'm like, yeah. like I'll read the sports page or maybe a little sports illustrated, but I'm like, man, I'm not reading books. Hmm. So that that hit me. I got to start reading. And I, and I tell it to all my players. I say it in our meetings. I, I pound it home to them. And that's why I, I cover books every year with the team. And it, mm-hmm. what's cool now is that you have these guys in pro ball, and they know I've got a, a library of books uh, in, in my office. And they're always, hey, coach, you got a book I can read. And, and so, that's awesome. you, know, back, you, know, you, you know, when you're in college, you're, you're kind of a little closed-minded. But mm-hmm. when – when you're out on your own in the real world, you go, man, yeah, that was some good stuff. I remember Coach Mack pouring into us. So I'm, I'm all about, and if someone's got a good coaching book, please recommend it to me and, and vice versa. I will, I will share books. I will buy extra copies. I will give them as gifts um, wow. because I just think that's the only way we're going to grow. And, and now social media has probably added that, that there's a third component to that. Yeah. But I don't, I don't like that. I, yeah. I'm just not a, now again, podcasts, I think is cool. I love when you're on the elliptical, no doubt, listening to other coaches, mm-hmm. uh, watching some stories. And I love, I love learning and, and growing like that. And, and again, it goes back to that growth mindset. And I think as coaches, I hope I, I don't know how much longer I'll coach. I hope it's a long time, but I hope I don't ever get to that point. Or I think when you get to that point, I think you probably got to stop coaching. If you think you can't grow and learn anymore and get any better, then I think it's time to probably hang it up. Okay. I want to go back to some baseball stuff because, again, being around you, I know how detail-oriented you are, and, and it's apparent when you watch your team practice when you watch your team play, and, and even we were talking before we got recording, you speaking at the convention back in Philadelphia, and you offered some some different variances of how you guys attack base running. So I'm going to go kind of through these. I think let's start with base running. You do these base running cycles, but you've also got the bat-to-bat stuff that just is just – it really changes the way that you view as a coach that, hey, man, we can get all these things done inside of this one drill. And so I'm going to let you open that up, the details around it that can teach our coaches that could really – show up on someone's practice plan, go into base running, Mac. Well, I, I think, as I always say at the convention, if you hit every day and you throw every day, you know, I think we would all take ground balls, fly balls. We would work on defense. We would hit every day. I can't imagine like a baseball team, like having a practice where there wasn't some form of BP. That's mm-hmm. just like, right. That, that's what we do. So <laughs> sure. I always say, why wouldn't you run the bases every day? Because it's ultimately about scoring runs. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't need to be a base running guru. And somebody acts like, well, I, I'm all about the stolen base. And that, no, 
I just want to score runs. <laughs> I just want to long. score. That's the job. That, that's the goal is we need more guys to cross and touch home plate than you do. And if mm-hmm. that's one nothing or 10 eight, I, I got to find ways to score runs. And, mm-hmm. and, and also for me, that's been really, really cool is when pro guys come back to me when uh, roving base running guys in an organization, when scouts or cross checkers send me text messages about certain players, Cole mm-hmm. Sturgeon, yeah. Adam Ingle, Nick Solak. Wow, Dan, your guy really knows how to run the bases. Like wow. that, for me, that just, man, that, I'll stick my chest yeah. out a little more. <laughs> no doubt. Just because I know how hard we worked on that. Mm. And, and what's our goal? What I Help this kid be the best baseball player he can be. So when Harvey Shapiro from the Bourne Braves said, Tyler Fitzgerald's one of the best base runners I ever had at the convention. That was probably the highlight of my convention. Mm. And you said, Dan, what was the highlight of your convention this year? I'd say, man, when he told me <laughs> that Tyler Fitzgerald's one of the best base runners he ever had, because I'm thinking that's what we're trying to do. So every day in practice, on the front end and the back end, we're going to work on stealing bases um, where we're just getting reps off first mm-hmm. or we're getting reps off second. And like I always say, it doesn't have to be – you know, when we throw BP every day, we're not throwing 20 cutters, sliders, change-ups. We're throwing a BP fastball, right? Yep. We're letting kids, you know, and I'm not saying we don't do breaking ball machine, all that. But when we're working on stealing bases, we don't have to reinvent the wheel here. Mm-hmm. Let me get my guy at first base. Let him get comfortable over there. Let him get reps. That's it. <laughs> I just want him to get reps and reps and reps. And I've got multiple stories of freshmen who stole 5 to 10 bases. And sophomore year, they stole... 20 to 30 bases and junior year they stole four to 50 as they just get better and better and better. And, and that's why I love teaching these kids about stealing bases, but there's way more than stealing bases. You, you mentioned the drill called cycle mm-hmm. where we just, you know, I always say it at the convention and we all did it. We were all guilty as players, maybe as young coaches We're at the end of practice, we're going to run two to first, two to second, two to third. Oh, that is miserable. Like, yes. I mean, that just, you know. Just, I cringe right now. Oh, man. Just, you know, you got to run those doubles and then you jog back to home yeah. and then you run. I mean, it just, it really doesn't do anything for you. Now, I laugh when I say that because I don't want to act like when the kids see cycle on the practice, they're like, all right, we're doing cycle today. No, they're, they're not fired It's a up. workout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not. But. It, there's just there's intentionality to it. Mm-hmm. So when we're running through first and we're breaking down, when we're running a, a, a base hit and then and and we get a, we round first base with our head up and we're trying to see the ball and we slam on brakes and we get back and then we're gonna go first to third and we're gonna have our head up. We're gonna touch second base. Mm-hmm. We're gonna pick up the third base coach and then we're gonna work on tagging up from third and then we're gonna run a double and then we're gonna score from second and then we'll run a triple and then we're gonna work on our squeeze. So so we're base running, it's conditioning, but it's it's purposeful, it's useful, it's actual stuff that will happen in the game. And mm-hmm. so whether it's cycle or crack a bat, we mm-hmm. got three guys running at a time and everybody's got their head up and you're picking up the guy in front of you, you're picking up the third base coach. Um, it just allows you to reinforce, hey, this is our mantra, this is what we're trying to do. Um, and, and, and I remember it was a few years ago, it was a team we had – Solak and Corey Ray and Will Smith and all. We had three first sure, rounders. Yeah. We had a second rounder, a third round. It was, it was, and I remember a cross checker sending me a text after one of like these midweek games. And he goes, Dan, 
that is the best base running team I have ever seen. And wow. I was fired up. And I, <laughs> I read it to the team the next day. I said, hey, guys, let me read you this. And then not, not about me. This no, is you guys. This is, this what, is what we what, do. Yeah, yeah, you guys want to play at the next level? There's people watching you. Yep. Do you take the ball in the dirt? Do you know how to go first to third? Do you know when you should tag and when you shouldn't tag and when you should score on the one-out hit and you should tag when there's no outs? And, and I read that to the team the next day, and they were. I mean, they were – that's always our goal. And, and that's where, as a coach, you love that. Like, Coach Williams is trying to help a pitcher grow. And that Reed Detmers does this as a freshman and this as a sophomore. And by his junior year, he's even better with this. And so, hmm. as he always says, he's trying to get guys ready to move through a system. Okay. It's not about, in our, at least in our program, it's not about playing pro ball. That, that's a nice accomplishment. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. It's about when you get in the pro ball, can you move through a system? And I believe. If you got the talent, which most of them do, and they're getting drafted high, if you know how to do all the little things, offensively and defensively, if you really know how to run the bases, because you're competing with everybody mm -hmm. else in that organization, mm -hmm. how does that not help you move through a system where they're going, man, that Solak kid, he knows how, I mean, this kid knows how to play the game. Yeah. Like, yeah, all he's got to do now is as long as he produces, we're, we're pushing this kid on the fast track. So wow. that's what I love about running the bases one it's going to help us score more runs two let's face it we're trying to win yep. but three i, I want to help these kids get ready because you know a lot of their their goals their big goal is they they want to play in the big leagues one day and mm. you know like i always tell them, man when you're on second base and they get that one out hit you don't score in the big leagues this guy's getting paid for his rbis no doubt yeah good good luck when yeah. you get back to, to, <laughs> to, to the clubhouse yeah. yeah that's right you know when 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 you don't read it, and you freeze, and you end up at third base, and the average yep. fan doesn't know. But I'm sitting there going, dude, how do you not score on that? Like, and we work on that every day in our pregame BP. What does a one-out read look like off second? Mm. So I, I love it because I'm in charge of the base running. So for me, <laughs> you know, that's where I get geeked up every day at practice where that's where – I get to do my coaching. That's it. You mentioned ball and dirt. Let's go back to that. Is there some specific or drill setup that you really accentuate, or is it uh, maybe modeled inside of your scrimmage opportunities where if you do try to advance, you get to go back? Do you have anything like that that really forces those guys to maybe lose the fear of the ball and dirt read? Yeah, it's, it's just, you know, it's funny. Uh, I was talking yesterday to a coach, you know, uh, winning mask deficiencies. So, like, mm. when you win, you kind of overlook some things. Yeah. When you lose – Oh my gosh, it's being brought up in the meeting and we're doing that practice. So so let's say we miss two balls in the dirt and we lose three to two. Well, I promise you that next practice, man, I'm gonna have Coach Vrabel, I'm gonna have him on the mound, I'm gonna have four base runners at first, and he's either gonna throw a fastball first strike or he's gonna bounce it off the plate, a breaking ball, and we're gonna cross over and go. And it's just, you know, I always say if you emphasize it, you'll be good at it. Yes. So basically what we're what we're doing, it's kind of the Tony LaRusa mentality is we we want to scare the pitcher into dominating with his breaking ball so if he's gonna he's we're facing a good breaking ball guy good curveball slider guy and he's gonna try to strike us out with that ball in the dirt he's got to have a fear that man base runners are gonna take a free base on mm. that you know and it's just why does tony larusa why did he allow you to steal third with two outs when people would say you're not supposed to steal third with two outs because yeah. you're in scoring position he would say no if i get my guy to third now the pitcher maybe can't bounce the breaking ball. Now he's mm -hmm. got to elevate it. Mm -hmm. That helps my hitters. And that's what I always say with my base running. It's all about helping the hitter 
in the batter's box. So, wow. so you know, we emphasize that we have some drills. You mentioned in our scrimmages, yep. and we'll do it actually this weekend. It's called Steel Scrimmage, where every inning there's a free stolen base. And what I'm doing, I'm basically saying, is I want you to steal. Yeah. Because I want, I want you to work on stealing. Yep. I want my pitcher to work on controlling the running game. I want my catcher to get a real throw mm -hmm. down. I want my middle infielders to show me they know how I teach them to get to the bag, snap tag, hold mm -hmm. the tag. And now more than ever, with video replay and guys sliding by, That's how many right. times we see, you know, so so I, I purposely have a steel scrimmage to force guys to go and you get one free stolen base and inning. So if the leadoff guy gets on and he gets thrown out stealing second, okay, now it's straight baseball. Mm -hmm. So now now I also want to see is he afraid? Is he gonna run even when he doesn't have the free steal? Or, you know, so but it gives us quality reps that right. you know it, without as I've talked to Coach Williams a lot about this over the years, <laughs> it's it, it the, the advantage goes to the offense. Don't get me wrong. Yes. But it we're not making the pitcher throw any more pitches. He, it, the pitch counts if he's ta if he's thrown out at second, he jogged back to first. Now it's straight baseball. Mm -hmm. So it's you know I, I had to change it a little bit over the years. If you get if because Coach Williams, I don't blame him. He's sticking uh, yeah. up for his pitching. Per your you know? pitching coach, we had to make an adjustment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like like if you get picked off, you're out. Yeah, and like you know, so yeah. so there are some. So I'm really forcing pitchers to say, hey man, we got to work on our pickoff move. Come on, man, yeah. let's. You know the guy's going. He's got a free <laughs> stolen base. Let's work on your pickoff move. If you pick him off, you just got a free out. That's it. You know, so. It, it helps us offensively and defensively. And whenever you talk about base running, I always say it, guys. The reason we steal a lot of bases, I want to defend the steal. Mm -hmm. So anything we do offensively should help us defensively. If you run an option in football, you know, you run the old wishbone Oklahoma option, mm -hmm. then you're probably good at defending the That's option. It. Yeah. Right? If mm -hmm. you're Navy or the Citadel or, mm -hmm. or Georgia Tech. But obviously when you don't run the option, it's hard for you to defend it. So, <laughs> sure. so, so whenever I teach anything offensively or defensively, it's to help us on, you know, like a football term, it's to help us on both sides of the ball. That makes total sense. Um, you mentioned BP, and I've watched you guys take batting practice. In fact, when we had Barnstormers there a couple years ago, you guys took BP as part of your coaching clinic, and we saw all the activity that's going on. It's not not your standard just couple fungo hitters working ground balls. I mean, there are things within the rotations that are built into your system that, again, accentuate what you're trying to do offensively. Take us through maybe just a batting practice setup and all the various things you have moving and shaking. Now, and I'm not like other schools. I'm not going to pick on anybody or call anybody out, but, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's it's not about a circus. We, we don't need 14 machines. We don't need hurdles. We don't need, sure. we don't need a million things going on. I'm not yep. trying to reinvent the wheel. What I am doing is I'm telling our kids, look, we got 56 games. Mm -hmm. And during the season, as you know, we only get to practice twice a week yep. on the average, That's sometimes it. once. So pregame BP has to be a short version of a practice. I'm not trying to crush you, but that's the only way we're going to get better. So in our, in our pregame BP, we split you up into three groups. There's a group that's going to hit on the field. Everybody knows BP on the field. There's a group that's going to be on defense, so they're going to get ground balls or fly balls off the bat. And then I take a group to base run. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think we get great, great base running. Because it's one thing to do a drill. A drill is good. teaches them it. But now when the ball's in play, so we start at first base, and we're doing three hit and runs with our hitters, and they got to learn when they cross over and run, 
they got to react, okay? Yeah. Line drive in the infield, you're allowed to keep running because if an infielder catches it, you're getting doubled off. But if it gets through, I want you to get in the third. That's it. Ground ball, keep running, fly ball, slam on breaks. So round one, we do all hit and runs. Now all my base runners are at second. First round, off second, we're going no out. So I'm standing there behind second base, and I'm, I'm coaching them to make sure get the third, get the third, get mm-hmm. the third. Or we say look to tag. It's not necessarily tag. Tag on fly balls, but there are some balls you shouldn't tag, but I want you to get the third base. That's your goal mm-hmm. with no outs. We go through a whole round. Yep. Then group round three is one out, and this is this is where you make your money. Can you get a one out read off a second? No doubt. Like really, when you shuffle and that ball comes off the bat, do you know what a base hit looks like? Mm. Not a line drive in the infield because I don't want you getting doubled up, and not a not a line drive that the outfielder is going to catch or a fly ball. Yeah. The ball that the in between ball, and can you read that? And so we get great reps wow. every day uh, in BP. Then we get the third. It's the last round, or maybe there's two more rounds left for the hitters. Now we work on our down angle. Mm-hmm. And I just want to see that they know what a good down angle is on a ground ball. Do they cross over on a line drive? Do they freeze? Again, on a fly ball, do they slam on brakes and come back and tag? So, so we get the offense. We get the defense. Again, we get the base running. I don't know how, how you would go through something and not work on base running. So when I speak to high school coaches, I always say, all right, look, I get it. You don't have pregame BP like colleges do. Sure. If if I were you, this would be your practice. Mm-hmm. Like if, if you're going to do BP in practice, which let's face it, everybody does, you got to put guys on the bases and let them run the bases. That's mm-hmm. the only way they're going to really see the ball off the bat and get those, you know, as we call those physical reps. Those mm-hmm. physical reps live. Um, and now, yeah, like you said. You got to be careful. Balls are flying around a little bit everywhere. I yep. got to slow my, I got to slow my BP coach down a little bit. Give me time in between pitches and, um, and again, but I don't want to scare people. I, you know, I see some schools. Yeah, they're creative. They can use machines and 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 do things with machines, shooting fly balls, hitting consistent ground balls. Hey, that's great. I just I don't want coaches to feel like they got to go out and buy four machines or whatever. Sure. If you got some machines, technology, equipment, no doubt. Mm-hmm. I think it. It can help you, but I think it's a mindset as to what are we trying to accomplish in these, let's say, 45 minutes that as college programs, we're, we're getting four to five days a week. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm going to scratch this social media uh, itch, at least for myself, because I know you're not on there. The mantra that bunning isn't something that coaches need to be focusing on, and some people subscribe to that, some people don't. I know that you do. I know that you're one that hey, you see the value, you see where it comes up in the game, some hidden reasons why we're trying to build that into our offensive plan. But I know bunning is something that's very important to your practice plan within the training of, of your offensive guys. Open up what you do specifically for bunning that gets them to, number one, buy in, and number two, execute the fundamentals you're looking for. Well, let's let's give a shout-out uh, to the late, great Augie Garrido. Yes. And, you know, it's it's he believed in the bunt more so than anybody. I think mm-hmm. he coined the phrase, I, I would have made Babe Ruth bunt. And, <laughs> and I've never been on that side of the spectrum. Yeah. But – he won a lot of games and, <laughs> and, you know, he won national championships. So it's hard to ever argue with that. I, I think it's like anything else. I think the more bullets you have in your gun, as we like to say, the more, if you're one dimensional, if you live and die off the three run homer, then it's hard. Cause there's going to be a game. You don't hit the three run homer and you're going to lose because of it and vice versa. If all you can do is steal bases, 
but you can't do other things offensively, then eventually you're gonna, there's going to be too good a pitcher, catcher. You're not going to be able to steal bases off everybody. So to me, it's about just being versatile and, and doing everything that you can. So as I talk to high school coaches, oh, <laughs> I, I think you can abuse younger kids. I agree completely. Because I, 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 don't, I don't think they get the reps yep. defending the bunt and put the ball in play and put pressure on defenses. Yes, our level – Division one athletes, these pitchers are athletic. Teams work on it. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we know the West Coast has the reputation. You're not going to exploit someone necessarily. You might, you know, here or there, but I think overall you can't, you know, bunt your way to Omaha. But I think it's it's a good offensive weapon. So I think just like anything else, who can steal bases, who can hit the three run homer, who can bunt? If you if you Mm -hmm. got a couple kids that can use it as a weapon. You would want them to use it as a weapon. Here's the other thing I saw. Over the years, the best hitters were the best bunters. Mm. I mean, not that you ever made Chris Dominguez bunt, but if you were to come watch us practice, <laughs> That's a good example. I mean, if you would come watch us practice, he'd get every bunt down. Yeah. And 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 you from Phil Wonderlick to mm-hmm. to Brendan McKay. Mm-hmm. And and this is what I learned about it. It's called It's aptitude. Mm -hmm. When you teach something, do you have the ability to take an instruction and put it to use? It's my first word of the summer. (laughs) Every week in camp with the, you know, a hundred little kids out there, the word of the day is aptitude. Who can tell me what that means? And a kid will walk up, I'll hand the mic. It's, It's the ability to take instruction. So when a teacher says, get this assignment done by tomorrow, you get it done. When a mom mm-hmm. or dad says, pick those clothes up off the floor and put them in the hamper, one time, you get it done. When, when I teach you bunting and I say, guys, this is what we want to do with our feet. This is what we want to do with our top hand. This is what we want to do with our eyes. Let's bend our knees, get our eyes behind the bat, mm-hmm. set the angle up. And when, when you teach these things, it's amazing. The really, really good hitters, like Brendan McKay never bunted in high school. That kid was never asked about. He never bunted for me. That's right. But when I taught it, boy, he could do it. And that's where that's where I do like to challenge hitters is if if I'm teaching fundamentals of bunting and you can't really make the adjustment and figure it out, it's hard. I I'm telling you, I've never mm. never had a great hitter that wasn't a great bunter. Now again, Chris Dominguez was a great bunter. He never I never made him bunt first and second nobody out. I never asked him to sack, but just the ability that he could do it. Now, I always say, though, it's funny. You watch the postseason. You look at the big leagues. They don't bunt during the season. When do they bunt? In the postseason. So I always want to prepare defensively. (laughs) Guys, when there's a runner on first and someone's bunting, it's not the first inning. It's the ninth inning, right? It's the 11th inning. So these are pressure plays. They seem simple, but their pressure plays. And then, you know, so it's just, it's an offensive weapon. Um, and I've seen teams that are obviously really good at it. And I go, man, I'd like to be a little bit better. And then, yeah, there are some teams that don't do it at all. And that's fine. I'm not, I'm not criticizing them. But again, as I'm trying to prepare players, I want them to be well-versed in all areas of the game. And who's to say in the national championship in the eighth inning, yes, we need to get a sack bun down. Gotta and I think you. as yeah, and, and as a coach, you don't want to be sitting there feeling 
like I didn't prepare my kid for that. I want him, and, and what I say, both sides of the ball. Mm-hmm. So if mm-hmm. I work on it enough offensively, I'll also work on it defensively. So when I am playing that team, or it is that moment in a game where a team has to get the bunt down, I want my guys to be well-versed in that they feel good, they're prepared, and we're going to make the play. I said it the other day. Hey, guys, if someone hits a ball in the gap or they hit a three-run homer and they beat us, I can tip my hat to them. Mm -hmm. They they were better than us today. But if they do a first and third steal early or they bunt a ball and we can't make the play. That's on us. And that's a hard one to sleep with. Like I said – you know, coaches, we can't take losing as it is. When you lose <laughs> off of something like that, mm-hmm. man, that hurts. And I, I just I try to tell our kids, let's not put ourselves in that situation. Yeah, that's fair. You mentioned a lot of great offensive guys that have come through. Man, you were throwing some names out that I maybe slipped. And but man, Rogers got the same thing from the pitching side. You guys have flooded Major League Baseball with some really top end arms. So What's he do that's so unique with his pitching staff and maybe maybe some insight into how he goes about preparing those guys, as you mentioned, to make organizational moves? How's he preparing them? Man, he, uh, he's got a gift. You know, he was a super talented pitcher back mm-hmm. in his day, and he, he made it up to AAA with the Cubs. He pitched against Cuba in the gold medal game. Mm-hmm. Like he's got so many great experiences as an ACC pitcher, as a professional pitcher, as a, as a USA pitcher that – his years at East Carolina, North Carolina, and then Georgia, mm-hmm. he just, for me, he just keeps getting better and better and better. You know, he's not a, and we made the reference to it earlier, mm-hmm. hey, guys, line up. Everybody's got to do it like this. Everybody's got to put their hand here, put the glove here. But, you know, I love how he lets guys do their thing yeah. and then just small tweaks and subtle adjustments and and the ability to relate to kids, the, the ability to connect with kids, the ability to be mm-hmm. flexible. Like you want to throw how much today? You want to throw when? You want to throw – you want to do another short box? You want to do a bullpen? Now he'll say, man, I really need to work with so-and-so. Can I get – like the mind is just consumed on pitchers and how do I get them better? So when he's moving a guy from Friday to a Sunday, he's going, man, I need – I want another day where I can get a short box with them, I can get a bullpen with them. If I can work with them a little more in the bullpen, I can help them. Yeah. And and I loved how he's always, like I said, man, the brain is just always working on how can I help these pitchers and how can I relate to them. He's he's he's, you know, he's very quiet as mm-hmm. as you guys mm-hmm. on the outside know, um but he's super focused and I love it because when he recruits, he's focused on that pitcher. And obviously when he's coaching his guys, man, he is laser beamed in on how he can help these pitchers grow. And it's mm-hmm. been, yeah, I mean, we've had the high profile, the birdie brothers and, but even those guys were, were raw, you know, coming out of high school, they just right. threw really hard, but right. were raw. It's so much fun to see them leave as polished pitchers, you know, and, and he's had the gift of, of elevating Friday night guys. You got to have great Friday night guys. We've had great closers um, where he can put, he can put pitchers in a position to succeed. And, mm-hmm. and he's very much on the mental side. I mean, he, he's, he's very much as to making sure just like we want hitters to feel good. He wants pitchers to feel good, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and it really frustrates him if, if we don't play good defense behind a guy, but he also wants to see, how do you handle trouble? How do you handle when bad things happen? And so yeah. um, there's no way 
our programs where we're at today, right? I can't brag that we're the winningest program in the last 12 years if it weren't for Roger Williams and obviously him mm. being here for all 12 of those. That's it. Well, no, he, he's held in high regard in all circles, so it's certainly good to get some insight into him. He is, he is quite introverted. I mean, he stays to himself, but you just know when you talk with former players and obviously hearing it from you and, and other coaches how special he is. Now, Roger in mind, Chris – Snyder, all those guys in mind, but also some of the players that you've had and and the ability to learn from their personalities. I think that's some of the cool stuff that we at times take for granted is as much as we think we're having an impact on players, Mac, those dudes are having an impact on us. You know, the way that they interpret things, the way that they challenge us as coaches. So when you think about the best people you've been around in baseball, what qualities seem to rise to the top? The very best, they all exhibit this. What would you offer? Yeah, you, you said it. I've learned an awful lot from these players. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I've loved about the players, and, and let's just talk about our time here at Louisville, yeah. is the goal-oriented kids. I think we uh, always tell our coaches, we have to be who we are. You know, I, I get it. If a kid's going to visit five schools, I'm not criticizing any coach, man. All five schools. Coaches are going to smile. They're going to put their best front up. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going to put their all. The future's bright. I, I'm not. Hey, that, that's what we're supposed to do, right? Yeah. I mean, we're supposed to be positive and upbeat and prepare for the future. I always tell our coaches, not that we're not supposed to do that. Let's be who we are, mm-hmm. and let's make sure these kids know what this program is about. Because we're not for everyone. We don't want to be all inclusive. Sure, we we are for the kids who want this, this, and this. And if they want that and they're goal-oriented and that's important to them, man, they're, they're going to they're gonna fit in great. And so I look back at, at the players we inherited in 07 and then all the kids we coached, and, and I'm afraid to start naming names because I'm, I'm going to forget to say some. Yeah. The, the, but, but, but the quality they had was they were goal-oriented and man, they punched the clock. We use the term punch the clock or, or, or one year we had on our shirt, on our shirt, organic milk. And, and, and the theme mm. was when you open the refrigerator and you grab that carton of milk, you know what you're getting. Yeah. Like you, you're not pouring this into a glass. And it's going to come out orange juice. It's milk. And what I loved about organic milk was like, it lasts forever. You know, it's like, it rarely goes bad. Like if you got organic milk that goes bad in your fridge, I mean, you got something going on. Yeah. I mean, it's had to have been in there for like three months. Yeah. You know, like you know. So, so, and, and the point was, we want to. We, we're counting on you. We want to know what we're getting. Like we want to know that you're consistent. You're showing up every day. You're punching the clock. That we we know what we're getting when we flip you the ball or you're in the lineup. It doesn't mean you got to get three hits or you got to strike out ten dudes. It just means. We trust you and you're physically and mentally prepared because you just you show up every day and you punch the clock. And I love Hmm. that mentality. Those to me, those are the great ones, man, where they're just they're hardworking. They're consistent in their effort. Um, Love has been a huge word that has really come to the forefront in our program as we're dealing with the draft and, and 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 distractions and pro ball and they got agents and families and everybody's looking out for for them rightfully so Mm -hmm. to have kids love each other you know and and ultimately care for themselves like we're putting us on 
on, on our sleeve. On one side of the sleeve, it's got HTH, which is help the helper. On the other side of the sleeve, it's got US, and it's unity over self. Wow. So people are going to see it, and they think it's going to mean like, you know, United States or, yeah. you know, where, but it really means unity over self. Like, do you love your teammates? Are, are you here serving your teammates? And that's just, to me, that's a program that I, there's not a magic wand or dust you, you sprinkle over them. I just think that's from the time they show up and how much you love them and how much you demand and challenge them and how much you make them grow and, you, and, you, and, and you're fair and you're consistent in how you treat kids and they just grow to, to love each other. I, I think of my experience at the Citadel Man, I smile, best friends to this day, <laughs> loved my time there. That, that's what I want for my players. I want my players to leave here and go, man, those three years or four years at Louisville, they were the best. And those are my best friends. They're in all my they're in my weddings. When something <laughs> goes bad, I can call one of them. And and that's that's our goal as a program, as coaches. And yeah. and when you get players that are consistent punch the clock and love each other, man, that, that, that's why they're great. Period. That is fantastic. By the way, our very first organic milk reference on air, which is, <laughs> Hey, we're 117, 18 episodes in. Let's make it happen. I'm going to hit you back with some quick hitters. And I think these are fill in the blank and obviously offer some, uh, some clarification, but one thing you need to work on is <laughs> just one. <laughs> uh, you're asking me or my wife. Exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. But I mean, I say patience, but it's really not true in baseball. I, I'm probably patient in baseball. I'm not. Okay. I'm not patient um, in a lot of other areas of my life. So, um, but I still think patience is one I, I can always work on. Absolutely. Uh, the key to success is consistency. Yep. You know that we, we talked about. You know, punch the clock and like mm -hmm. you said, organic milk, man. You wanna <laughs> you wanna know what you're getting, man. I'm, you watch how many people are gonna pour oh. a glass of milk after this episode <laughs> and they're gonna smile when they see milk go into that glass. Cause let's face it, that, that's what you wanted, yeah, right? You want it. you wanna know what you're getting. I'm getting it printed on shirts as we speak. I went ahead and set the, the order <laughs> in. Um in the end, when our careers are over, it's all about having loved your players. Mm. And um and that's 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 tough love. I mean, that's discipline. That's pushing them. That's challenging them. Doesn't mean you were perfect. I'm, I'm not a perfect father and I, I can't be a perfect coach, but I just want them at the end of the day, you know, man, that guy, that guy loved me. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the best thing I could do for them. Yeah. That's so good. Really referenced a few of these, and this is a staple question of our show. And we give you the opportunity to throw some shout outs, man, you're Mount Rushmore. When you're building that and you're exalting those three or four people, that have just been the meant the most to you, have impacted you the most in our game. Who shows up on your Mount Rushmore? Well, my, my older brother is a uh, very successful high school ba basketball coach mm -hmm. up in New York, and seven years older. So okay. you know he was coaching me when I was in little league and midget <laughs> football, and and you know he was a teenager, and I just remember the yellow pads and and all the plays written on it, and didn't know I did not know I wanted to go in the coaching, um, but having grown up with an older coach in the family, I realized I loved it. My first fall at the Citadel. Um, I think of my dad, my dad was the epitome of punch the clock. I mean, mm. that dude never, ever missed work. I mean, I missed my first day last February. I got the flu opening weekend in Charleston 
And um, I finished out the weekend, came back, and I, I forget, I missed one of the practices. And, and I walked in the next day, and I was devastated. Because I told the team, guys, I've been coaching since I was a player in college since 88. I never missed a day. Wow. And from, from the time I played and my 26 years of coaching, I never missed a day. <laughs> I'm talking like sick. Like, I just don't believe in that. Like, I just mm -hmm. don't, you know, I say it all the time, the kids laugh. All Americans don't get sick. Yeah, that's just that's my belief. I know it can happen. <laughs> it's good, but it's and it's just a state of mind. It's just being mm -hmm. hard headed, you know. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm sick, what am I going to do? Like lay in bed? It's going to make me feel better. No, I'm going to I'm going to work. You know, I'm going to do. So I think of my dad because, and I didn't realize it at the time, but my brother's the one who brought it to my attention. Well, I was bragging. You know, I was bragging like I had this Cal Ripken streak going for coaching. <laughs> sure, and, and I was, and my brother was like. You know you get that from, right? I'm like, who? He's like, you get that from dad, man. Wow. Have you ever seen dad knock it up and go to work? And and my dad was, you know, a good Irishman. Like, mm -hmm. my dad liked his cocktail at night. <laughs> like, you know, my dad, it didn't matter. That next morning, he was up. He was up and going. Making breakfast, yeah. radio, sports radio on, and singing, and off to work. And I just remember thinking, man, between my dad and my brother, I, I, there's no way I'm here today if it weren't for those two guys setting the setting the tone for me and how to go about this. God, so good. Okay, man, last question I got for you because I know you got to get back to making the Cardinals better, but um, advice for coaches. Whatever's left, dude, just empty it out for us. What else would you uh, offer our coaches paying attention to the show? You know, I always think it's a, it's, it's a growth mindset. Mm -hmm. I mean, but with that being said, and I, I probably didn't say it earlier, I always remember Coach Jordan and Coach Bianco saying it, you got to be who you are, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, it's because kids can see through that. So it, you, I, you can't, well, I want to be just like him. Eh, you really can't be just like him. Yeah. One, you have to be who you are. But with that being said, you have to be your best self. So mm -hmm. you can always get better. You can always grow. You can always learn new things. And, and for me, that's, you know, God made me who I am. I, 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 you know, am I perfect? No. But I love the way I am, and that's and and but I need to grow, I need to get better, and because we always use this line, and this is how we end all of our speeches, or if someone does chapel and we give them a ball, or I spoke at the leadoff banquet the other night, maybe we've been good, and you could look at this as a as a husband, as a father, mm -hmm. as an employee, as a coach, I don't care any area of your life, maybe you've been good. Maybe you've been great, but I'm willing to bet you haven't been your best yet. Whoa. And and for me, the word yet says, let's get better. I, I, I want to get better, you know, and, and I just I want coaches to think, man, I, I can be better this year. I can be a better coach. And I don't know what area that is. in. it, it could be organization. It could be practice schedule. It could be game coaching. It could be recruiting, whatever. It could be raising money. We can all get better in certain areas. And so I would just challenge coaches, as I mentioned earlier, you got to have a growth mindset. Don't expect your players to get better and grow if you yourself yeah. don't have a growth mindset. And so I'm always – I am curious. I do meet – I talk to other coaches. I do like – I'm not a social media guy. But I love to have some hardcore conversations, some, mm -hmm. some deep talks about what you're doing, where you're at, what do you think, what's your philosophy. Um, 
because I, I want to grow. I want to get better. And because I, like I said, I live by that word yet. There's still a lot more in there. Wow. Okay. That was a chill bump moment. I'm going to hold on to that one. And uh, I just want to let this podcast live out in space, Mac, to show that a wildcat can work with a cardinal. I just want to throw that out <laughs> that we can all come together in the spirit of growth and learning. But no, man, I'm, I'm just beyond thankful that we carved out the time to do this. And again, you being so forthright with, with your thoughts and your ideas and your insight, huge help to our coaching community. Obviously, dude, we're so thankful you're involved in what we're doing here at the association and, and really helping support the national office. Best of luck to the Cardinals this year, Mac, and thanks for jumping on with us. I love what you guys do. Uh, you know, I love the rivalry. Mm -hmm. I love the rivalry. And as we always say, I mean, the game is bigger than us. I mean, this it. is about the game. And to me, the ABCA epitomizes giving back to the game of baseball. So I'm, I'm honored to be a vice president uh, on the board of the ABCA, and, and I'm honored to be on this call. Thanks, Sheets. Coaches, thanks for checking out our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast and another one of our Dugout Chatter episodes. Here at the American Baseball Coaches Association, our job is to serve coaches around the world. So let us know how we can help you out. Head over to our website, abca.org, if you're looking for more information about our coaching fraternity. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter, at ABCA1945. If you want to reach out to me directly, do that through Twitter, at CoachSheets3, or by email, Sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, at abca.org. We'd love to hear from our loyal members. We'd like to hear from some new members and continue to find ways to work together at growing the game of baseball. Huge thanks to the sponsor of our Dugout Cheddar Shows, our great partners over at Rawlings. If you're looking for more information about what they're doing for baseball and this coaching fraternity, head over to their website, Rawlings.com. That's R-A-W-L-I-N-G-S.com. And thanks again, guys, for your support. As always, thanks for listening in and staying dialed into our Calls on the Clubhouse podcast. Until next week, we ask you keep growing, you keep developing, you keep challenging yourself inside this game. We wish you and your club the very best, and thank you for what you're doing for the game of baseball. Baseball.